Welcome to The Truth in Us Art, your source for conversations on arts and culture. I'm your host, Rob Lee. And today, I am thrilled to welcome my next guest, a cultural organizer, creative strategist, and communications lead, also the co-founder of the Arts Administrators of Color Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing professional development and networking opportunities for arts leaders through the United States. Please welcome Ariel Elizabeth Davis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. And again, thank you for for making the time. And, um, you know, like we, we were talking a little bit beforehand. And as a person that's like been following you a little bit and now being able to have this sort of conversation, learn more about your your work and your thoughts, this is this is great. This is just, you know, like the cherry on top and I'm allergic to cherries, but you get the you get the meaning. Uh, so if you will, could you, you know, Describe your background a bit and how, you know, some of the the things that you're doing is influenced, like your background has influenced the work that you're doing today, in particular um, experiences related to the arts. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm originally from uh, Detroit, Michigan, but grew up mostly in Southfield, which uh, here in this area, I like to uh, compare like DC to PG County. Southfield is kind of that to Detroit. And so uh, very much giving like a mixture of classes, but heavily middle class. Uh, slightly upper class and very privileged with that. You know what I mean? I, in middle school, um, had an amazing band director who had a lot of community support. His name is Randy Scott. He's still there. Um, he had one of the students play the French horn in class and told us that, you know, if you play the French horn, the bassoon, the oboe, you're almost guaranteed a full ride scholarship to college. So just the fact that I had a teacher like that at the age of 11, I mean, really helped chart my path forward. Um, in high school, the band director happened to be a French horn player. His name is Damien Crutcher. He's incredible. I still have the honor of supporting him in his work now as an advisory board member for the Detroit Harmony Project at the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, um, which I'm thrilled to do. But uh, Damien, you know, kind of took me under his wing and uh, really opened the gateways to the best private instructors in uh, Michigan and uh, all these opportunities to like solo with local bands and orchestras. And I mean, it was great. And with all of that that occurred, I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to Howard University. Yeah. And for me, going from like this very safe kind of bubble of a place uh, where like everyone looked like me and was into, you know, instrumental music in this way. And it was socially accepted and to like uh, a city where there were so few of like, you know, me, you yeah. know, I, I kind of. I don't know. It was really surprising. I'd gotten glimpses of that in high school, but for me coming to the East Coast, I was just uh, shocked, honestly, at how often I'd only be, I'd be the only woman on stage, you know, in a brass section or the only Black person on stage in an orchestra of like 80 plus people or uh, both. <laughs> and so, yeah, all of that background kind of has like led me to just questioning how um, artists are chosen to yeah. you know, represent so many on stage and et cetera. And yeah, I could go on and on and on, but that's kind of like my background. Thank you. It, it, um, I think that that sort of observation and there's, there's a second question that kind of dives into that a little bit further, but it almost pre-programs it to be like a monolithic sort of conversation. Like there's only one of us and I represent everything. And it's like, it can't be that way. Ever. 
No, that's so true. It's, I mean, it's that thing of like, uh, I get so frustrated because to this day, I think the media kind of perpetuates certain paradigms of what it means to be black. And so when you're a black person that plays the French horn, it automatically becomes kind of like this intrigue thing that, um, can be just frustrating to experience. Like it shouldn't be such an intriguing thing for each of us to have like our own interests while contributing to the larger community, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, agreed. I, I remember, and this, this has nothing to do with it, but I think it is worth mentioning. Um, this reminds me of this this one time, like I went to Morgan State University, so Boo, Boo Howard, whatever, no I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I went to Morgan and I remember upon graduating, uh, like years later, I, you know, I would kind of always, any Morgan State related news that would pop up, I would look into it. And I remember I was looking at the news, which I don't do anymore, but I was looking at the news and it, it popped up and it's like, yeah, um, the Morgan Orchestra is going to bring a little soul to you. I was like, I was like, what does what does that mean? Bringing some soul to the holidays? Like, what does that even mean? And I was like, they're doing like this sort of like they're doing holiday music. They're doing like the standards or what have you. This very kind of like white tune or what have you. So this notion of bringing soul to it, it felt really weird to me. And I remember the 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 partner I had at the time. She was like, "Why are you annoyed?" I was like, "Cause that's a very weird thing to say." And it's just you can't say it's because it's black, but also it's pretty obvious. <laughs> No, that's so real. That's so real. I mean, yeah, it's interesting because even I mean, there's so many layers to all the language that we use and just the histories of those worlds and spaces, you know, like the orchestra ultimately is an African rooted entity that unfortunately has been transformed by white supremacy paradigms and eugenics and all the things. So, you know what I mean? Like, it should be a soulful thing. It should be a community oriented thing. And unfortunately it's been whitewashed to not be that. And that can be very annoying for me. But I mean, what you just mentioned reminds me of Darren Atwater, um, who shout outs to Darren Atwater of Soulful Symphony. I was actually just on the panel uh, last week and myself, two others from Baltimore serendipitously were in Detroit, just talking about moving beyond the jargon and Darren Atwater, Baltimore, again, you know, was one of those people. I mean, to this day, people look at Soulful Symphony as like, that's what we're trying to get to, you know, like mm-hmm. on a large scale. So, yeah. Shout out to shout out to Darren. I've, I've interviewed him, had the privilege of, of chatting with him. Uh, we, we, we joked about Morgan a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so, t- like, I think I think we all come to sort of an, an aha moment where we want to spend because we're all we're all working a lot um on the things that we're doing and we may have an interest we may pursue it but when it whatever the thing is creatively but when we get to a point that it's the aha moment that i'm going to put a lot of my blood sweat tears time all of that stuff into a creative pursuit or supporting creative expression and, and cultural expression when was that moment for you was there was there something that was that key indicator of now i need to really put a lot more time into this I need to really like this really has me hooked. Yeah. You know, it's so that's such a good question. This is why I'm such a fan of this podcast. Um, It's funny because I'm actually kind of experiencing that right now. Uh, Just this morning, I finally registered an LLC to begin pursuing consulting work more full time. 
And that's work that I've been doing for years now. I mean, I've worked, you know, within for about 20 different entities at this point and helped grow organizations from the grassroots up. And so I would say for me, I mean, my core passion at my very heart is to see more of us doing more different things in, you know, economically sound ways. Mm -hmm. And I want us to do it in ways in which, you know, we're really um able to grasp it like there's there's clear communication on what's happening i think um sometimes folks i don't know like we're all just so busy you know we miss what's happening with even our next door neighbor and so finding ways to like just help bridge those gaps and provide support and all of the things like on the back end is something that i'm really into um and so yeah i just uh established this LLC this morning um, because this was an aha moment. Um, on Saturday, I got asked to join a call with some creative consultants that want me to work with them. On Monday, yesterday, no, two days ago, I got a frantic call from a very well-known conductor who does DEI work and wants me to work with them. I got another call from a former colleague that wants me to do work, you know, around community engagement with them. So I've been getting these calls and having these conversations where folks, you know, are needing that support. And um, I don't know, you know, sometimes I think about the fact that I chose the French horn or the horn chose me, whatever, you know, goofy thing you want to say. But like for for me, playing the horn was such a beautiful space to be in the time in which I, you know, did perform because yeah. I got to be that thing on stage that people didn't really know like what it was, but they heard it, they felt it, you know, um, and I've always kind of been about that. Like, I don't need to be front and center. I don't always need the solo, right? But I like to really help amplify and support and uplift on the back end where I can. That's 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 wonderful. And I've I've had that a couple of years ago where the LLC thing, right? Where you get there, like I gotta fill this paper. Ah, it feels real now. And mm-hmm. you know, coming into this and, and doing it as long as I have, doing podcasting as long as I have, and you know, and, and I kind of think about this a lot recently. I've been thinking about this a lot recently as this this we're recording this in february and this is like the anniversary month of when i got started so oh, like wow. yeah i i remember i started making fun of a washington football player uh you know washington football team player um and i was like yeah sports we're going to talk about that this is the first podcast i'm going to do and just kind of growing from that sort of seed of having an opinion or having something i wanted to share and now being able to do this but really you know when it came down to looking at it as an llc I have a consulting side of supporting podcasts and supporting people and telling their stories through podcasting. And that's the thing that I've done. And I, you know, spoke with someone earlier because, you know, you get to capacity and it's like, I can help a few places here, but I don't want to do it at a large scale. I want to really take advantage of sort of this low entry point here and knowing there are several entities that don't have a marketing budget or have a very small marketing budget, try podcasting, you know, as a way to get that message out. And I was speaking to a firm and I'd mentioned like, hey, I've done this. Basically, I know if you're BSing me and they were like, oh, that's so interesting that you do that. And then their quote was twenty five thousand dollars to do some promotion. Sorry. (laughs) And I was just like, and uh, and I'll I'll throw this out there. Sorry. (laughs) I'll throw this out there that, that kind of relates into the whole scheme of things. I made it that is I wanted to test something. 
I made it that I didn't have my visual up. So it was just like black and white screen, but they follow me. So they know who I am and they know what I look like. But I wanted to get a sense because I've been hearing more and more when people see me for the first time. I'm I'm really tall. So that's one thing. But when they see me for the first time, I get the whole, you don't look like a podcaster. And I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what in the world does that be? Right? Might be too soulful. I don't know. that's exactly it no there's so much there i mean i definitely get that thing of like i mean okay that thing of oh you don't look like you know Mm -hmm. the moment that i would say back in the day that i was a musician oh yeah i'm a musician oh so you sing so you uh play piano so you know those drums (laughs) right it's like oh i play french horn and then it's like but what you know it's a it's a thing for sure to like deal with when people yeah just have ideas in their head on what things look like but you know one thing that you mentioned that it, it just brought to me this conversation i was having just yesterday about processing and in a way that develops your skills to the point where you're almost like considered Swiss army knife. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where There are like three to five lanes that you're really sharp at and how mm-hmm. it takes time to get there. Almost akin to like cooking a really good meal. There's prep work that's involved. There's all this research, you know, and then the development of the work. And it's, I don't know. I think sometimes people um, don't realize that there are people out there that are skilled to that degree, like yourself. And so, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. I like that you use the recipe thing because I've been using that. This is not an ad, but I've been using the whole uh, fellow Hesh uh, company, (laughs) HelloFresh. I've been been making meals there and they have the whole, um, you know, like the recipes and all of that stuff. And I've been making an effort to do more cooking because I really enjoy cooking and I really enjoy talking with chefs. So being able to um, try out some of these recipes and I see that sort of intuition that's there, like. I immediately, I immediately like maybe skip a step, right? Because it's like, I've cooked this before. I've like seared peppers before or what have you. And then I see like, oh, okay, I have to do this this way. Or I might need to do this in this order or change it. But at the end of the day, it may be six steps. Those first two I've gotten. And then that, you know, those four, those three in between that last step, you know, I kind of mess up, screw up somehow. But ultimately the end result is still the meal. Absolutely. Or sometimes I know I'll read the recipe and I'll be like, mm, I think I'm going to do something a little different here. Or I can sprinkle a little something right here. You know, like, yeah, especially with the seasonings, please. There's at least 20 that go into the food. So <laughs> I ain't using that much salt. I'm using something else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so speak on, and, and I, and I already have a, a sense of this, I think, but I really want to want to hear it from you um, on the importance of of diversity and inclusion, like DEI or Jedi, as, as some people will use uh, in, in arts and arts administration, because, um, you know, we as you touched on earlier, you want to see more people that kind of look like us. But speak on the importance of that as far as like bridging those gaps and kind of connecting to community of artists. Yeah, I mean, you know, to get to that question, I want to maybe just start with like the history of AAC and how it was founded. Please, please. So AAC was founded, co-founded with myself, Kwanis Floyd to start, and then like an amazing group of uh, folks that joined our board in the early days and helped establish things, um, which you can find out more on our website, website, aacnetwork.org. But 
Um, yeah, so with AAC, when we co-founded the organization, this was in 2016. It was the year of the Trump election. Uh, there were all these conversations around uh, the fact that, or not the fact, excuse me, the theory that uh, there were not enough people of varying backgrounds that could apply for arts and culture jobs. I was hearing this at the time um, through my work at National Art Strategies, which was providing professional development services to a lot of arts leaders. Um, Kwanis was hearing about this even as her work as a music educator in Baltimore. She was working with Baltimore uh, City Public Schools. Yes. So Kwanis and I basically teamed up started an online platform through Facebook uh, to connect each other with others in, you know, the DC, Baltimore regions. And, and it like really grew from there. We started doing in-person um, events. Uh, we had a convening. Actually, our second convening was at Motorhouse yes. with our friend Camille there now, but at the time Andre uh, was there. Um, so yeah, like Baltimore has had such a beautiful uh, or held such beautiful space for AAC in so many ways. So I just wanted to make sure I pay tribute to that, particularly yes. in its early days. And I'm excited about, you know, future work there as well. Um, fast forward in 2021, uh, we, uh, excuse me, 2020, we did a COVID relief fund because we were hearing and experiencing a lot of folks, uh, particularly before June of 2020, uh, being furloughed and laid off from their jobs. I was one of those folks that got furloughed and I knew a lot of people that got laid off, unfortunately. Um, and so that uh, relief fund really ballooned awareness around AAC and led to us receiving a $1 million grant, uh, or not grant, excuse me, just fund from Mackenzie Scott, which was really great, of course, helpful, and led to us hiring our uh, current ED, Carla Estella Rivera, who is based in Chicago. So I say all of that to say, um, you know, for AAC, uh, our mission and our vision continuously evolve over time. Yeah. Right now, our biggest thing is looking at all of the varying um, identities that exist within our network, you know, and paying tribute to that. So right now we have a series of virtual affinity spaces for folks, uh, you know, that may hail from the Asian community, Black folks, uh, Latin folks, whatever, you know, you identify as. There's an affinity space that we built, you know, either around uh, your uh, heritage or around um, your interests. So we also have like an advocacy affinity space. Um, our convening this year will be held in Chicago for the very first time. So I'm very excited about that. Love Chicago. And, uh, you know, for us, we've identified along with, you know, again, paying uh, tribute to the non-monolithic state of our community. Um, we've also looked at just, you know, expanding awareness around the organization um, across, you know, different regions. So, um, yeah, that's basically where we're at now with AAC. Thank you. And I, I feel like there is a, I feel like there's a newsletter, a combination, because I've, I've had Andre's episode one up this week. I've had Camille on the past. You're on now. Just what? here we go. Come on, serendipity. I like that, like that kind of working out in that way. Um, so like, what are what are some of the challenges like like early on and some of the challenges that you you may face like now what have you um because 
everything can't be peaches and cream, you know, or whatever the proper thing would be. I don't know. But there's always challenges like time is always a challenge for me or what have you or being able to get that person to respond to an email or whatever the thing might be. And, you know, when I think back early on, it was very challenging to get interviews, to have people say, hey, I'm going to spend this time or what's this about? Who are you again? And now it's kind of the other way where it's like, all right, how do I how do I schedule this in this time frame and have this to have the most impact? So so speak on some of the challenges that maybe that were there early on and some of the challenges that are, are there now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> we've gone through so such a journey. I'll be very honest. Um, the earliest challenges I would say were around the there were there were folks outside of AAC that didn't understand why we had to exist or why there had been any organization like AAC even prior. I mean, I will say AAC is not the first of its kind. It's not a new notion. Like people have been, you know, collaborating um, in ways for quite some time. So, yeah, there were definitely, you know, folks that were like, oh, this is just another echo chamber or we don't understand the point. Um, we also, you know, tend to use straight up language. So, <laughs> you know, there were challenges in just getting folks comfortable with that. Um, and of course, being volunteer based. I mean, we were volunteer based for quite some time. And I just got to give kudos to uh, Kwanis, who really led the charge in so much of the work um, during those early years. I mean, it was a lot, you know, because she was balancing that and teaching. And so, yeah, there was a capacity thing for sure. Um, so, yeah, I would say those were definitely challenges earlier on. For now, moving forward, I mean, um, challenge-wise, I don't know, maybe I'm just too Pollyanna about it, but I, <laughs> I always say clear blue skies because, <laughs> I mean, of the work that has happened, like we've, you know, kind of put ourselves, I think, in a really great position to grow and we've set such a positive track record up, I believe, within the community. Um, there are, of course, those times where there's disagreements around language. I would say maybe that, you know, to be very honest, is a challenge. I, I'll say for myself personally, that can be a challenge. Like, I know I've said the wrong word or the wrong phrase, you know, uh, for someone um, based on their life and experience and perspective. So that, I would say, you know, is something that we're all experiencing to some degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm just really excited. You know, I've been either board chair or co-chair for the organization for most of its inception. Yeah. Um, I've never taken a dime from the organization, you know, I've volunteered my time given to the organization. And so I'm in a really um, euphoric space right now, <laughs> having someone like in a paid position to lead the organization yeah. like Carla. So, yeah, so far it's it's been it's been really exciting just to see like where we can go. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's uh, it's, it's great to hear it. And I like one of the with, with all of the things you said, there's a lot to like in there, a lot to love in there. But the one thing that pops that, you know, I've asked for and being on this side of it and of like looking for funding, looking for support, what have you, finding the proper terms to say, because, you know, people play real dumb sometimes. I'm like, look, 
this is what I need. Make the thing thing. Make the thing yeah. work. Like, you know, I'm having these struggles. How can we we make this this work? And I think sometimes the that that sort of process of the administrative thing around art in and around culture, around some of the work that people are doing, that's a hindrance at times. But hearing that it's in plain language, it's in a way that can be relatable. And the other thing that I thought was very interesting is sometimes the, the way that language works and, you know, trying to like, go against the sort of moving target at times, like, you know, it's a living, breathing thing. So making sure that you're you're up to date and making sure that, hey, my bad, let's, you know, how do we fix this? How do we move forward? I think that's important. Um, I've had a few instances where someone will give me a bio that may not have been up to date and it may be different terms that are being used. I'm like, hey. I'm happy to fix it, but you got to let me know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's so, so true. And, you know, here's here's the thing. I'm going to sound so old and I'll probably get myself in trouble. But these kids they don't know how good they have it. They live in a certain space of freedom that I'm like, in my 20s, I had even an ounce of an opportunity, you know? And I mean, there's a little bit of that cranky old lady that's starting to creep in with me on that. Because, you know, the the conversation around language sometimes, I think, to your point, can be a hindrance, right? And just celebrating the great that it is existing, you know? The way that people can reimagine and imagine themselves is a beautiful thing. And the fact that, you know, it's accepted to the degree and beyond. I mean, not to the degree but you know what i mean like the fact that it's accepted like it is now versus when i was growing up in the early 2000s i'm like y'all don't even understand but yeah we're we're in the same boat we're in the same (laughs) situation um and it's like y'all don't use that term oh okay there's a grant that says podcast is like yeah yeah let me um i'm of color right now podcast of color (laughs) poc (laughs) <laughs> um that's so stupid so so in, in looking at some of the you know i wanted to step back a little bit some of the the stops that are within like your background i see kennedy center i see um like the washington women in jazz festival i see you know the string queens i see a lot of different experiences and, and roles that you've had that you know just make up a really like strong body of work in this sort of uh space of arts administration and art support and just being an advocate Talk about, you know, one or two sort of examples that like come to mind of like these were important lessons that I've learned during this time that you may still even apply to this day. Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. I mean, I'll, hmm. I would say my one of my highlights career wise has been uh, or, or was the work that I did with the String Queens. Yeah. So. And String Queens are a beautiful group. I, of course, recommend folks check them out right now. Um, But they're comprised of uh, Dawn Johnson, Elise Sharp, and Kendall Isidore. Uh, Kendall Isidore and I went to Howard together. We were in like the orchestra and all of that. And Dawn and Elise, I met, I want to say actually through Soulful Symphony. Um, again, shout out to Darren Atwater. Um, cause back in the day, you know, when I, I freelance on the French horn, that's yeah, how I meet folks. And so I found out that the three of them had made the decision to start a group together 
And immediately I said, I will do whatever needs to be done to support y'all. So I took over their social media channels. I built their website. I helped them redesign their logo. Um, and all of this stuff, I was just doing like self-taught, honestly. It was stuff that I was uh, beginning to find passion around. And I was seeing just how important, you know, it was to build like really strong um, communications, you know, channels and strategies for uh, uh, organizations. At the time, I was working full time at the Kennedy Center. So that's where my perspective was coming from, too. Like I was reviewing and seeing artists, websites, bios, you know, all the time. You know, I was one of those gatekeepers. So I knew what would, you know, give people what they needed. And um, yeah, that was just such a beautiful learning space for me. I was honored that they, you know, took me at that time um, to, to manage them. I'd never managed artists before, you know, and so there was a lot of trust placed in that. But we went on to do a commercials and campaign for ESPN and uh, Unlimited, which was beautiful. They did this rendition of Lift Every Voice and Sing with Aloe Black, which was dope. Um, they've gone on to win awards with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. They've performed, of course, at the Kennedy Center, but then also at Lincoln Center, at Carnegie Hall. Like, they've been out here. So just, you know, being there in the infancy, I'm getting chills. And <laughs> seeing how much they've grown, you know, like, these are three full-time working women um, at schools in the area, you know, so they see young people all the time and um, have kids themselves. So yeah, just being an example in that way, I think is incredible. And I mean, shout out to, there's so many people, thank goodness that we have in the DC region that help make their career transformation happen. Like Sunny Sumter at DC Jazz Festival, uh, like Lorenzo Evans, who was working at Washington Farming Arts uh, at the time is now a financial consultant. Love his work. I mean, there were these people that I was lucky enough to like get to know and yeah. um, help help launch. So that's one major highlight that does come to mind. Thank you. That's that's, that's great. I mean, seeing sort of like where people like this is sort of we were doing this and this is where we're at now. <laughs> I like seeing that what that next step is. It's almost like the time lapse thing. It's like, yeah, I was just doing this. I, you know, I was doing this creative thing. And now it's just like, yes, yeah, so I'm managing the, this, this account for this major client and I'm working in this capacity and we're bringing in people that look like you and I to do this work. Yeah. And let me tell you, for me, where where I get so much gratification is when I can pass the baton on, mm -hmm. I feel very comfortable. Like, uh, you know, at my conclusion of working with them, um, I pass the baton on to their now current manager and like to see how things have continued to progress has been so dope. It was similar, actually, um, at the musicianship. So I started working with them when they first launched alongside Jeff Tribble, who is an incredible leader in DC. Uh, he works now with Levine uh, School of Music. He's the executive director there. But when we were at the musicianship, you know, setting up um, uh, camps for youth and helping to run student produced events and like all of these things. Um, and now seeing where the musicianship is in acquiring Funk Parade and acquiring the Whammy Awards in DC, you know, things like that. Again, I mean, we talked about this earlier. It's the thing of like connecting people and yeah. just like seeing how it grows. It's, uh, I'm addicted to that. Like, honestly. So let's see. I have one more real question. It's a two-part question now. One more real question. And then, like, I've been adding rapid-fire questions since we've been talking. So thank you um, for what you're going to have to deal with later. Um, <laughs> so 
so I, I guess this is sort of the the advice side of things, right? Um, so what advice would you give someone that's like uh, a person that's interested in going into like uh, arts administration and cultural expression, that sort of work, basically like, I want to be you. <laughs> what advice would you give someone that wants to go into there? And on this other side of it, what advice would you give aspiring artists in, in navigating sort of that world like today? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, you know, it's tricky because things are changing all the time. There's stuff coming out like this chat GPT and all the AI, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating to see, but that's another conversation. I mean, I, I, I want to preface my response with that, though, because, of course, like I can only give as much as I know. Yeah. And um, what I know is the folks I've seen most successful are as fearless as possible, you know, and even uh, fearless and also gentle with themselves. Um, those are two things that I know I personally have been working on, but, you know, when I meet with younger folks, what I've, I mean, I've, I've seen and heard things that I dealt with myself. There's, you know, anxiety on whether or not you're making the right step. Like I took a very curvy path to where I am now. I left Howard actually my senior year because I'm quite sure I was depressed. You know, I didn't know where I was going next. Um, and I ended up bartending and working restaurants and hostessing. And that taught me so many life skills that I wouldn't have expected, you know? And I mean, luckily I had people that were gentle to me, around me, so I could also be gentle to myself. But um, doing that, I thought was, you know, I, I just always look back at that as such an invaluable experience that I gained. So yeah, being gentle to yourself and also just being fearless and making decisions that feel right, I think is really important, you know, and, and knowing that there's no straight path, really. I went back to Howard, I finished, you know, my degree. I got my first 4.0 ever in life. I was focused when I went back, you know, but yeah, I think um, for, for young folks, I, I always recommend that. And then of course, for arts administrators of, you know, diverse uh, backgrounds of color, all the words, I would say, you know, look at arts administrators of color network. Uh, what we do is we have a um, private Facebook group where we'll post job opportunities and internships and uh, the like. We also have a newsletter uh, where we're, you know, hoping to build those connections. And as I mentioned earlier, those affinity spaces. So yeah, checking out those events and also events uh, that are shared within the network that are more geographically based. Um, mm -hmm. I think it is always a good move. I've used my own AAC Facebook group that I moderate for my own, like, you know, <laughs> things, honestly, you know, uh, I'll see a job pop up from a member in there and I'm like, oh, that's cute. Or I'll see, you know, um, whatever, and I'll pass it on or, you know, I'll go for it as well. You know, it's really like a community space. So AAC network, Facebook group, I would recommend that uh, for sure as well for young folks. Um, but yeah, I think right. that was the question, right? It was, and um, it, it and I and I'll kind of close on this portion of it with, yeah, I think I think it's important that we allow for that sort of stuff where, you know, looking for someone else that may not be invested in what we're doing, and for whatever reason, they they're they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it with the same care. They're not going to do it in the same way. They're not going to you know be be kind at at times. They're looking at a person to fill a certain slot. And I think being able to be in a group that kind of sees you and that are your people, and however one might define that, 
that's I think it's important to kind of do that. That is so real. I'm sorry. I should have said that too. You, <laughs> so it's that, you know, that thing of like, find your tribe. I mean, it's real. It's, yeah. you know, who can you grow with? I've done so much stuff with people that I went to college with that I never thought we do as much as we've done, but we have, you know, and also, you know, just these random little coalitions um, that I've been a part of, you know, have sprouted into all these other things. So yeah, you're, you're so right. Having the right folks around you um, is super important. 100%. So now with all of the goodwill that we've established, it's time to get into some rapid fire questions. I got five of them for you. Uh, brevity is key, as you know. Here's the first one. Um, what would you do if you could only work for one hour a day? I could only work for one hour a day. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is hard. <laughs> I, <laughs> this is going to sound dorky, but I would build out timelines. Okay. I like that. Sounds sound strategic. I like that. I get lost in that, in the haystack. So, yeah. As a strategic guy, uh, I, I I like that. Um, what is something that without fail makes you laugh? Wait, what would, I'm sorry? What is something that without fail makes you laugh? I have a best friend that every time he sends me a message, I'm basically <laughs> on the ground. So. Yeah. I like that. It's, I, I had someone tell me yesterday, it's always cat videos. And I was like, 10 on 10. Let's do mm. it. Let's make it happen. Mm -hmm. uh, do you collect anything? If so, what do you collect? I collect too many things. So <laughs> my office has my collections. Can I do a spin of my yeah, sure. So I have my artwork here. Mm -hmm. Can you see it? Yes, I can. Yeah. And then I also like books. So I have lots of books there. Nice. Yes. So I like artwork and I like books. I'm an old lady at heart. I collect failed podcasts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 14 years. What can I say? Uh, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, I, I dig the aesthetic. I dig the fit that you're wearing. Um, what is your favorite color combination to wear? Favorite color combination? Ooh, okay. So I just said it yesterday, actually. So it's um, the color of my nails, right? I like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Black and white. Yeah. That's it. Okay. That's that's where we're on this whole spring. Okay, I'm, I'm more of a, a mid-tone sort of guy. We wear a lot of gray, as you can see, and a uh, fair amount of ox blood, like that, that sort of burgundy. Huh? You'll see me in a burgundy hoodie a lot. It's it's just like, yo, Rob, have you showered? No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's not about that. Being a funky art guy, it's fine. Uh, here's the, here's the last question. Um, it's, this is going to be broad, but since we were talking about words, right? Yeah. What is your least favorite word that you hear in like art conversations? Ooh, oh, I have such a list. <laughs> I know you do. Um... <laughs> Me and my partner make fun of these conversations a lot. Like when we're in these spaces and there's a lot I wanted to do a bit on the East Baltimore diaspora. And she was like, you're stupid. She's like, you are so stupid. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, I don't know why this is this is gonna sound so antithetical to everything that has been shared today, but just DEI together. Mm. I don't know why it makes me go, oh, but it does. Um, so I'm I'm trying to process that, but that's the word that immediately comes to mind. Or acronym, I should say, excuse me. But 
I think it's an honest thing um, because uh, everybody wants to have a slice on it as to how they define it and and so on. And working in higher ed, I hear that as well, combined with with this. So, yeah. and to be clear, I still use it. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I find myself saying spaces way too often. Now I was like, damn it. Yeah, but you know, got to be gentle with ourselves, Rob. Got to be gentle. With Just pillow fingers here, pillow fingers. Uh, so so with that, um, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. This has truly been a treat. And um, I want to open up the floor for you in the last moments here to um, share anything that you, you got that you feel like we, we may have um, we may have missed. And I know there's a lot, but anything that you want to share in the final moments and tell the listeners where they can check you out, AAC, anything along those lines. The floor is yours. Absolutely. Um, so I will share uh, the latest project that I've been um, doing some consulting work for, and um, I'm happy to pass that your way too, if you're interested, but it's with New York Public Radio. Uh, I've had the honor of being on the research team with Terrence McKnight, who is a classical music um, reviewer and commentator there at New York Public Radio. And so, yeah, that's being launched or was launched, depending on when this goes live, uh, February 16th. So um, I'm super, 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 super thrilled about it. Um, and yeah, also you can check me out and whatever projects I'm involved on, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, uh, and then I have a website uh, that's A-E-R-Y-E-L-L-E.com, Ariel.com. And, uh, yeah, that will have a link to all the things as well. So, so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This is this is this has been fun. I'm really happy about this and I, I think we got it. So and there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Ariel Elizabeth Davis for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's arts and culture in your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. 